right, let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you that you have called us and invited us to worship you. Uh, we thank you for the gift of your word that you have made yourself known. And so, Father, we come with open hearts and a desire to hear from your word, to uh, be shaped by uh, the truth of scripture. And so would you teach us? Would you give us open ears and open eyes, Lord, by the power of your spirit? It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. All right, well, hey, good morning, and uh, welcome to FBC. So glad that you are here. My, na my name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here. Just grateful that you're with us this morning, and I want to invite you to open up uh, your Bible or a Bible or your Bible app, however you need to get to John chapter 8. Would you do that now and join us there? And I know if you've been with us for a few weeks or for a while now, you might be wondering why we're going to John 8, because we just finished John 11 last week, and after 11 comes... 8, 12, right, 12, but we're in John 8, and so here's the deal, uh, we're kind of at the halfway point of the book of John, okay, as you look at the book of John, thematically, we're, uh, the end of chapter 11 is kind of halfway, and the second half, 12 and on, really looks at the last week of the life of Jesus, and so rather than press into the second half right away, and then have to take a break in a week or two for Advent, we're going to do a special Advent sermon series uh, for the month of December, as we do uh, each year, rather than like starting and then stopping John and then coming back to it, we're just going to take two weeks to do what I could call a, a bonus episode of the Gospel of John. Um, if you listen to podcasts or, you know, TV shows, sometimes you'll, they'll get bonus episodes where it's like, hey, uh, this next episode doesn't progress the storyline or it's not like the next chapter in the story, but it's like a pause button and like, let's go on like off to... Um, on the exit ramp of the freeway and off on a side street and look at something that we, we saw before but we didn't have a chance to go into uh, as much depth as we wanted to, right? Or let's look at something we've seen before but a little more fully. And so uh, for the next two weeks, we're going to look back at the Gospel of John at some things we've seen before heard before, but want to go a little bit deeper into. And so that's why we're in John chapter 8 this morning. Uh, verse 42 is where we're going to be starting, if you'd like to join me there. Uh, many of you likely have heard of C.S. Lewis, the famous author, theologian, author of the Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, in one of his other works, he has this really well-known quote about demons and the work of the devil. And he says this, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils or demons. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. Our error of those two for people today living in Benicia is to disbelieve in the existence or the work of demons and the devil, right? When's the last time you were at a dinner party or a school board meeting and the topic of conversation was the work of the devil and how it's affecting your community, right? It's not usually something we talk about. We're led to believe as modern educated people, we shouldn't believe in things like that unseen spiritual beings working against us. For some of us, it just sounds like too much. And yet, the Bible teaches it. 
And the majority of people throughout the history of the world and other parts of the world today believe in an unseen spiritual realm that affects what we can see. Spiritual beings that exist, not all of them being good or for us. And so we're going to see this morning in the teaching of Jesus uh, some helpful and necessary words about the devil and his work in our lives. We studied this briefly uh, back in John 8 before, but let's read it again, verse 42 of chapter 8. It says, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. Here's verse 44. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. If you remember the context of John chapter 8 that we were in a few weeks ago, you remember there's this conflict going on between Jesus and the Pharisees, Jesus and the religious leaders. And there's all these questions about who Jesus is and who sent him and who his father is and who the crowd is and who their father is. And there's accusations going both ways. And Jesus tells the crowd they're enslaved and they need to be set free and they don't like that. Things are getting tense. In verse 41, there's even a, a subtle reference to Jesus Jesus' mom. There's a your mom joke in verse 41 of sorts, and so you need, I'm not going to talk about it, but you go find it in verse 41 and tell me afterwards that you found the fighting words about Jesus' mom in verse 41. Try and spot it. No one came up to me after first service. No one found it. So you guys, I'm, I'm hoping you'll be able to do that. Um, but it's in that context, okay, this tension, these arguments between Jesus and the religious leaders that he says in verse 44, you belong to your father, the devil. And so the first point I want to make this morning is simple, and it's this. We have an enemy. We have an enemy. The devil, demons, topic of spiritual warfare is all over the pages of the New Testament. We see it in the words of Jesus himself here. And before we get too far, I do just want to point out that uh, I'm, I'm leaning here on some of the work of Pastor John Mark Comer. He wrote a book called Live No Lies. came out recently, fantastic book, where he does kind of a deep dive into John 8. And so I really appreciated the way he put some of his insights together. And so uh, some of these things you're hearing, I, I really appreciated from him. Just wanted to point that out. And also say one of our third quarter resources, right, on our website, each month we have some resources we're encouraging everyone in the church to work through. Uh, one of the resources this month is a podcast uh, with John Mark Comer where he's talking about his new book. And so if the things you're hearing this morning are interesting to you, um, actually, even if they're not, we're asking everyone to still listen to the podcast this month. So um, go and listen to it, and you'll hear kind of more in-depth analysis on some of this uh, talk about the devil and truth and lies and so on. But this is an area we don't talk a lot about. An enemy. We have an enemy. The doctrine of Satan and demons. So a few things that scripture teaches briefly here to give us some, some handholds on this. 
First, the Bible teaches that there are spiritual beings that exist that we cannot see. Spiritual beings, known as demons, that stand opposed to God and his people and God's work in the world. The devil elsewhere is referred to as an accuser, as our adversary, as kind of the chief demon leading this rebellion against God and his people. He works to thwart and corrupt God's good world. Here he's described in verse 44 as a murderer. In 1 Peter, maybe you remember, he's described as a roaring lion seeking to devour or destroy you. Later in John, Jesus will refer to him as the ruler or the prince of this world. So he is uh, quite powerful and influential in our world and in this age. As to his origins, uh, the Bible doesn't tell us a lot. But we know that he's a created being. He's not eternal like God. He's not equal with God. He's one of these created beings uh, of God, like an angel, but somewhere along the way, he rebelled against God, now seeks to lead others in that rebellion against God, which leads to death and destruction. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8 says, one of the reasons Jesus came was to destroy the work of the devil. And he triumphed over the enemy on the cross. Jesus will one day return and destroy the enemy for good. Amen. But notice some of the things that Jesus tells us then about our enemy. Verse 44, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. So Jesus points back to page one of the Bible, the book of Genesis, in the beginning, and says, the enemy... Your enemy, the devil, is a murderer. He was a murderer from the beginning, speaking of his role in leading Adam and Eve in rebellion against God, which led to death in the garden and beyond. So we have an enemy that is a murderer that wants to destroy us. Again, as First Peter says, wants to devour us like a roaring lion, wants to drive the world into ruin, and death. I mean, have you ever looked at some of the atrocities of the world, of history, things like the Holocaust, things like the Atlantic slave trade, things like even modern day abortion, where there's just so much death, so much destruction? It makes you wonder, you know what, yes, this points to the doctrine of sin, right, human selfishness and all the harm that we can do, but it's almost as if these events are, are driven, are influenced by forces uh, that are more than just human forces, forces of evil because the, the death and destruction is so devastating and some of these things are so wicked that it makes sense to say, you know, there's more going on here than just human influence. So we have an enemy that wants to destroy us. Notice again, verse 44, what our enemy is going to do, his strategy. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Anybody remember Buddy the Elf from Elf? 
accusing Santa of sitting on a throne of lies. Similar to here, this devil is a liar. So if point number one is we have an enemy, point number two is our enemy is a liar. And his main strategy against us is going to be to deceive us. And friends, if you haven't been paying attention so far in the service, we've been sleeping, it's a cold morning out there, and if you plan to check out later in the service, that's okay, just right now is really where I would love your attention, okay? Right now is really important. We have an enemy, our enemy is a liar. So look at a couple of the things Jesus says in verse 44. First he says, when he lies, he speaks his native language, or, or out of his character, Maybe your translation says, in other words, lying to the devil is what speaking English is to me, right? Just natural. It's what comes out of him. And also it says he's what? The father of lies. You know, what does it mean when someone's the father of something? The father of modern medicine or the, the father of psychology or the father of fast food or whatever it might be, right? It's that person is responsible for its its birth and growth and existence. So our enemy is a liar, the father of lies. Now think about it. We all have convictions, assumptions, beliefs about how the world works, about who God is, about who we are, and our, our enemy's strategy to destroy us is to deceive us and get us to believe things that are not true about the world and about God and about how the world works. Now maybe you hear that and you say, okay, I'm not sure how, how destructive really are lies. I mean, is that really an effective strategy? He's going to lie to us and that's how he's going to bring, you know, death and chaos and ruin into the world? Well, think about it. Someone once said, when you go against the grain of the universe, you get splinters. <clears throat> and so if... The enemy can deceive us and get us to live in such a way that it goes against the way God has set things up. We are going to be harmed by it. Right? Our, our lives take shape based on our convictions about reality, what we believe to be true. Right? There are certain things that we believe are good and beautiful and valuable and worth pursuing, like pizza or chicken wings or whatever it might be. And then there are things that we believe are bad, wicked, uh, unhealthy to be moved away from, right, and avoided, like kale or, you know, you fill in the blank. There, there are things that we believe about, about God, right, on a more serious note, right, about God, about relationships, about what the good life looks like, right? what we should be pursuing. And so if, if the devil can trick us into pursuing bad things because we think they're good or avoiding good things because we think they're bad, then it's gonna reap <clears throat> bad fruit in our lives. I think I've shared this story with you before, but it's, it's relevant here. I grew up in Sacramento and just a few you know, minutes away from the American River 
And so I'm pretty couchy and I love the great indoors, but in high school, I would go rafting on the river with friends in the summertime, okay? So we would love to go float down the river for hours and, you know, go cliff jumping into the water and swim and, you know, soak in the sun and had a great time. Um, But one day we wanted to go rafting and our friend who owned the raft uh, that we used most often, like he invested in a quality river raft, uh, he was busy. And so we couldn't use his raft. Now, the American River, it's not like, you know, whitewater, safari, you know, crazy rapids, but it's, there are some significant portions where there's rapids and rocks and significant dangerous undercurrents that could pull you under and some, some real dangers out on the river, okay? And so this one day, we can't use our friend's quality raft, and so someone comes up with an idea. They say, why don't we go to the store? Get some of those, like, cheap inflatable, you know, pool toys. Like, you know, like the lawn, it looks like a lawn chair, but it's, like, inflatable, real cheap plastic, and you can sit on it in your pool, or, like, a little inner tube, you know, you can sit on in your pool. They're like, let's go get some of those and go down the river. I know. (laughs) And mom and dad, if you're listening, you're not going to like most of this story. I'm sorry. (laughs) So we said, hey, that's a great idea. And so we went and we got the inflatables and the tubes and we, you know, blew them up and went down to our little launch place by the river where we normally would go and we set off down the river. And we're, we're not even that far down the river and, the, you know, the things start losing air. They're, we're already kind of like sitting halfway in the water, like the, the tubes are barely keeping us afloat. And, and as that's happening, we're getting closer to the first set of rapids and two camps start to form. There's the, hey, this is a bad idea camp. Like, what are we thinking? We should get off the river. And then there was another camp that was like, we're fine, let's do this, this is great. Two camps. Which camp do you think I was a part of? I'm not going to tell you. I'll just let you keep your assumptions about me, okay? I'm not going to tell you which which camp I was a part of. So we're, we're getting closer to the rapids. And what's taking place here, notice what's going on at a deeper level, is basically a battle between the truth and between lies. The truth is... If you try to go down the American River with these cheap plastic pool inflatables, you are probably going to die or be very seriously injured. That's the truth, right? The lie is you'll be fine. You can totally survive floating down the river on these cheap pool inflatables. That's a lie. If you believe a lie and act on it, it can bring about destruction in your life. But rather than talking about a river and a rafting trip and some silly high schoolers, we're talking about your marriage or your relationship with your kids or your relationship with God or what you pursue, the decisions you make, the career choices whether or not to move. There's there's all these huge decisions in our lives, big and small, and there's going to be ripple effects. And if you make those decisions based on a lie about what's good for you, about what's worth pursuing, and you act on it, it can lead to destruction. Thankfully, that day, the truth won out, and we got off the river before the rapids. And I'm still here to tell you the story. So very, very glad about that. 
But think back again, we, this, we mentioned this last time we were in John 8, think back to Genesis chapter 3, the beginning that Jesus references. He's a murderer from the beginning, Jesus says about the devil. What did the devil, the serpent, do in the garden to Adam and Eve? To attack them. And he didn't come with a stick or with a sword or with witchcraft or a plague or an army of demons. He came with a lie. Right? You're not really going to die if you eat that. You lied to him. Work. God's holding out on you. God knows if you eat it, here's what's going to happen. And God isn't for you. He doesn't have your best interest in mind. And so you need to take things into your own hands. Or think about, again, Jesus tempted in the wilderness. In Luke chapter 4, how did the enemy come at Jesus? Not with threats of violence or a sword or storms, but a lie. Right? Lies. Hey, you're hungry, just make yourself some food. No big deal. Hey, if you serve me, I will give you what you want. Bow down to me, you'll have what you want. It was a lie. That's how he's going to work against us. And so rather than meeting us on some, you know, ancient battlefield where we're clashing weapons and pounding our chest, ready to fight, Instead of meeting us that way, he's going to meet you when you're alone. He's going to whisper a lie into your ear. He's going to seek to deceive you. And I think that, honestly, I don't think this is an overstatement, that probably the majority of problems that we face in our lives, the maybe dysfunction in our communities, the challenges in our families, the issues we face in our church, are because we, in different ways, believe lies. We believe things that aren't true, and then we act on them. And so, what are some of the biggest lies that we believe today? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> There's a handful. First, uh, one of the big ones, we say, life is about me. I'm the center. And the good life is found by pursuing my own happiness and joy. Another one, some of us will say, you know, Bible knowledge is the mark of Christian maturity. So if I just know more Bible verses and I can quote them and know more information about God, that means I'm really close to God. Or we say, you know what? God is love, therefore, he wouldn't judge anyone. He would never condemn anyone. So live how you want. You and God are good. With or without Jesus, God loves you, you're good. It's a lie. Or the opposite of that, you know, if you want to be acceptable before God, well, you better measure up. You better act right. You better jump through the spiritual hoops. Acceptance in the church, acceptance before God is earned. That's a lie. Here's a big one. We say, I know better than God when it comes to blank. Fill in the blank. Big one, though, is our uh, relationships and our sexuality. I know better than God. His book's really old. We figured it out now how it works. I know better. And so, if his word contradicts my desires, he's wrong. Or we'd say, in order to be loved, I need to blank. In order to be loved, I need to achieve, I need to succeed, I need to appear a certain way before other people. 
Here's one. We say, you know, extracurricular activities are better for me and my family than church. Whether it's sports or music or travel, you know, you name it. Other things are more beneficial to the health and well-being. Maybe a, a slow morning at home. Better for me and my family than coming to church. And let me just clarify, I'm not saying this as a grumpy pastor. I'm not saying this as like an angry pastor. And I'm saying this just because I love you as a concerned pastor. There are so many different ways, right? We think we know better than God. I fall victim to this as well. And the fruit will not be good in our lives if we believe lies and act on them. So, we have an enemy. Our enemy is a liar. Last point, how do we fight back against our enemy? Yeah, that's here in the text as well in John chapter 8. Look, uh, rewind a little bit to verse 31. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Or verse 36, he says, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. So it's Jesus and the truth of the gospel and the power of God's word that will set us free from these lies. So third point is we need to fight lies with the truth. So friends, realize this isn't the type of battle you can win with a bat. We have to fight lies with truth. Ideas that are true. Where we remind ourselves, God is for you. And God loves you. He's not holding out on you. He's for your good. And so when you face things in his word that don't make sense or that are contradictory to how you think they should be done, it's not that God is a killjoy, but he has good things for you. That's why he's given us his word and his commands. And so we can trust him. And you know, I think one of the biggest lies that we, we deal with is I think where the, where the enemy wants to attack us the most is if he can get us to deny the gospel and to believe lies about salvation. Anyway, we've kind of hit on this already, but there are two ways really this happens. One is we say, well, um, I don't need Jesus, right? Sin isn't that big of a deal. Uh, I don't need to repent and trust in Jesus. Uh, my own, you know, goodness will vouch for me. Or we say, well, Jesus, the work of Jesus isn't enough. And so I know I should trust in Jesus, but on top of that, I have to add, you know, good works or whatever it might be. And so if the enemy can convince us that, that the gospel is not true, then he's going to be very, very happy. Because the, the truth of the gospel is what? That we are sinners desperately in need of a savior, that on our best day, we need Jesus just as much as our worst day. And there is a savior, a redeemer, a rescuer who came. He died on a cross to pay for our sins. And he rose again to give us new life. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. God shows his love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us, loved us, and gave himself as a propitiation for our sins. 
So we have to remember the truth of the gospel. And some of us think, again, that we like, come to Jesus and we pray a prayer and then we graduate from the gospel and then we go in and do a bunch of good works, but we never graduate from our desperate need for Jesus and his saving work in our lives. And so, friends, this is why we put such an emphasis on preaching the word of God, right? on, on teaching from scripture, because we believe that God's word is true. And we need God's word to correct all of the lies that we buy into. This is why we hear God's word read aloud. This is why we want to encourage you to, to read the Bible for yourself and on your own meditate on the word of God as someone tells us to in order to stand firm. And we do this together, right? We need one another. Have you ever had like a great idea? I mean, this was a killer idea in your life and you shared it with someone else. You're like, listen to how awesome this idea is. And they're like, that's the worst idea I've ever heard. Does <laughs> that ever happen to you? You're like, trust me, this is gonna be awesome. And they're like, this is gonna be terrible. No, that's horrible. Um, it's because so we can deceive ourselves really easily, can't we? We get in our own head and we're like, this is gonna be great. And we just, by talking it out with someone, they're like, no, no, no. Uh, we need one another. We're, we're most vulnerable when we are alone. That's when it's the easiest for the enemy to take us down. And if I could give one more uh, cultural commentary, cultural piece of application here when it comes to believing the truth and, and fighting the lies of the enemy with truth, it's this. Um, we have to be really careful about the messages we consume from the world. Okay, whether it's the music we listen to, the, uh, the shows we watch, the movies we watch, the news outlets we listen to, we have to be really careful what we fill our minds with. I'm not advocating for like a monk-like withdrawal, right, up to the hills and we never engage with culture. But we need to be careful. I'm not saying we need to, you know, if someone turns on Netflix at their house, we purge this filth from my midst, right? We don't need to go that far. But here's my fear is that in trying to avoid some of the errors of church history, right? Some of the times we look back, maybe even in our own lives, and we're like, you know, yeah, sometimes Christians have been, you know, real judgmental or real unnecessarily uh, condemning other people because of certain, you know, choices or whatever. Or like, like when I was younger, when I became a Christian, I got I was a really zealous church kid. Okay, you want I don't think you would have liked like 13, 14 year old Matt. Okay, um, like there were non-Christian friends I had, and um, I became a Christian, and they were listening to like non-Christian music, which is what non-Christians do. They weren't listening to Caleb or whatever, and uh, they were listening to some, you know, heavy metal bands, and I was like, you shouldn't do that. That music's awful. That's pointing you away from God. What are you thinking? And it was just like super negative towards them. And they were like, what is this guy about? And I look back at that and I'm like, well, what did I expect them to do? Of course they were listening to that music. But I was just, you know, kind of hyper zealous, judgmental, baby Christian, Pastor Matt when he was 14. Okay, so um, sometimes we say, well, I don't want to be like that. And so I need to be like, you know, cool, modern Christian, you know, or I'm not going to, you know ruffle any feathers, or I can, yeah, I can watch what, Game of Thrones or whatever. Yeah, who cares? I'll cons yeah, we can do that as Christians, no big deal. And we start to think, I haven't seen Game of Thrones, by the way, if you're worried. Um, but, um, <laughs> but 
So we, we go so far as to say, well, I'm not going to worry about what I consume. And yet we have to be careful because the messages that we consume, the media that we watch, the things that fill our minds start to shape our souls. They're not value neutral, okay? The, the media, the entertainment we consume, it's not value neutral. It's telling us something about what the good life looks like, what is good and valuable and beautiful and what we should pursue. It tells us, it sends negative messages about what things are bad and should be condemned and should be moved away from. And so we just have to be aware of that. And, and here's the deal. Our hearts are often shaped by um, stories, right? By movies. Like, have you ever been powerfully moved by a movie or a show, right? It wasn't because someone came and like laid out a really logical argument for you about here's why you should believe this or here's why you should condemn this. It's just no one laid out some logical reasoning. It's just you watched this and you were like, oh my goodness, I feel this something going on in my heart that I want to cherish this or pursue this or whatever it might be. Like, and so we need to be careful because um, that's how God made us, right? To be moved in certain ways, but if we're moved by the wrong things, then it can be troubling. Let me give you an example. Anyone seen the show The Durrells? The Durrells in Corfu. Anybody? Jackie Shaw. Yes. Okay. Love that show. Yes, Sally. Right. Uh, great show. It's about this family. They moved from England uh, in the 30s to this uh, island, Corfu. It's a Greek island. And they restart their life there. The mom's a widow. Um, and, you know, really fun story. It's on Amazon Prime. It was good, but uh, toward, this is a bit of a spoiler alert, so if you're going to go watch it, I'm sorry, but here's the deal. The, towards the end of the series, there's like four seasons, I think, the mom um, starts to get romantically involved with this man, and, and their relationship starts to grow, and you can tell it's kind of building to them being together, and um, it's, you know, you get kind of rooting for them to be together. You're like, I, 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 like, I like him, I like her, this would be great for them to be, that's what the show's moving you towards. The only problem is that the man is married. I know. And so, um, but his, his wife is, you know, not a very good wife. She's very unkind to him, very uninterested in him, uh, doesn't really want to be with him. Like, there's, there, it's an unhappy marriage. And so the show gets you rooting for this couple to be together. You're like, she's a widow. He's unhappy in his marriage. Yeah, you know what? They should be together. Like, they, he should leave his wife. I really want to see them get together. And, and that's what the show is leading you towards. I had to catch myself. I was like, wait a second, this show is making me root for divorce or an affair. And I'm like, that's not okay. I don't, I don't believe that that is right. And yet this show, I, you know, I find myself justifying in my mind, like, yeah, they should really, you know, he's unhappy in the marriage and he should just leave her. And I'm like, what am I doing, right? You ever caught yourself? And so I had to say out loud to Amber, as we were watching this show, I was like, I've realized what the show's trying to do. They're trying to make me root for him to get divorced and get with this other woman. I'm not having it. All right, I'm taking a stand. I am not buying into it. I don't want that to happen, and I need it to be known. And she was like, cool, good. Uh, but so but the point is, though, um, we can be shaped and directed by the things that we consume. Subtly, our hearts can be moved in directions that aren't necessarily logical. Or even if you were to sit down and ask you, do you believe this? You'd be like, well, no. But you kind of subtly start to get nudged. And so my point is, we just need to be careful what we consume and be aware of the messages that are being sent and compare them with the truth of God's word. And this, the simple practice is this. We do what Jesus did when he was tempted by the enemy, the devil. What did he do? He quoted scripture. Right? We fill our minds with God's word, with what, with what is true. 
so that when the lies come, we can identify them. And so I just want to invite you to the simple practice, whether it's in your journaling, your quiet time, your prayer walks, whenever you connect with God when you're driving in the car and have worship music on, uh, I want to encourage you to ask God the question, what lies am I believing right now? We should get in the habit of asking that question. We have an enemy, and he's a liar, and so what lies am I believing right now? And then ask God to provide you with the truth. Lord, would you bring a a passage of scripture to mind? Lord, would you bring a verse to mind? Lord, would you remind me what is true in this situation? This is especially helpful if you find yourself being anxious or angry or really worked up about something. That's usually a sign that something's going on in your heart that you might want to pay attention to. And ask, God, okay, God, what am I believing about this situation that's leading to this sort of reaction? For me, often the lie um, is you need the approval of other people in order to be okay. Your pastor is a recovering people pleaser. It's true. So I believe the lie, you know, so I'll be like anxious heading into a meeting or, or worried after a meeting. How did I come off? I don't know. Is I, whatever. Uh, and God has helped me see, hey, you're believing this lie. You think you need their approval to be okay. And guess what? You don't. Right? Your identity is rooted in Christ. You live to serve and please the Lord. So it's not about the approval or applause or whatever from other people. In Christ, you don't need that. You can rest in Christ. And so I don't know what the lies are that that you're tempted to believe, but we need to identify them and speak the truth of God's word to counter them. And so what we're going to do to close is, you know, we're going to pray to close like normal. I'm just going to leave a little bit of extra space for you to sit with the Lord and ask him that question. Lord, what, what lies am I believing right now? What do you want to point out in my heart that I need to see and then would you, would you give me the truth, Lord? Help me hear your word, bring a verse to mind, bring something that will counter that lie. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your, your teaching here in John chapter 8 about the devil, about his lies, about his work against us. So Lord, we, we pray that you, by the power of your spirit, would, would help us see the lies we're believing right now. Would you speak, and would you then bring to mind, Lord, the truth of your word that would speak against those lies? So we give you this time.
And Father, I want to pray for, uh, for those here this morning who have never trusted in Jesus, who have believed lies about the gospel, either that they don't need you or they can earn your favor themselves. Lord, I pray that you would just pierce our hearts with the knowledge, the recognition that we are so desperately in need of a Savior. And you, Jesus, are that Savior, that Redeemer who died for us, who loves us, who rose again. Lord, I pray that if anyone is not trusted in you, that today would be the day they put their faith in you, Jesus, and follow after you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.